Father, we are so grateful. We come with grateful hearts this afternoon, Lord, thinking about your son taking on human flesh and entering the stream of humanity for us. It's hard to, it's very difficult for us to understand or comprehend the magnitude of the descent that had to happen. You didn't just come to earth, you came into an active and living rebellion against you. And you came for the purpose of actually dying. And Lord, we're grateful. Lord, we are so caught up in such a secular world that it's about toys and materialism and everything else, Lord. But just for this next 30 minutes, Lord, and already for the past 30 minutes, Lord, that we could come together and be singular in our focus and be thinking and grateful for you and for what you've given us in your son. Jesus, we are so grateful. We are so grateful. Be with us tonight as we try to just unpack a little bit of just some of the readings that are being done all over the world. Christmas Eve services all over the world, every tribe, every tongue. They're celebrating the same thing, and that is God taking on human flesh. And we, we adore you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, to my left, we have the lovely Gina McConnell, who will be doing our reading. Uh, Heather and Jeff, Heather did it last year, and then they've taken off to go north. And now we get the, the privilege to have Miss McConnell, M- Mama Mac. That's who this is, Mama Mac. That's right. That's right. She's going to be doing the reading tonight, and uh, I'm excited about that. So are you ready for this? I, I don't even know. I, to be honest with you, I don't even know how you start to unpack the, this. I mean, this whole, this idea that God somehow enters humanity. I mean, it's just so strange. It's so, I mean, sometimes I think, well, we grew up, maybe you grew up around the church and you just kind of always taken it. You've just always kind of absorbed it. But you do realize that there are many people in our world today that would just go, that is such a strange myth that you guys talk about. This idea that God took on human flesh and yet... It's exactly what happened 2,000 years ago. The prophets had seen it for hundreds of years that there would be a day when God would take on human flesh and come and first redeem humanity. We talked about it yesterday at the service. He came to redeem humanity, to buy us back, to purchase a people for himself. And he is going to come back, but he had to first come. We took a group, some of you know, many of you were there. We took about 70 folks to Israel here a couple of weeks ago, and we went to a place that I had never been to before. It's called Shiloh. Some of you may know your Bible well enough to know what Shiloh is. Shiloh is the place that the Ark of the Covenant, a place that was the picture that God had for his presence. Now, you've got to realize God's never confined to a box, In Isaiah 66, it says, can you put me in a house? Is there a house you can build for me that I'm going to squish myself down and be small and come live in a house or a box? Of course not, but it was a representative picture of the presence of the living God. The Shekinah glory of God was there in a box in a tabernacle. And that Ark of the Covenant that traveled with them for those 40 years as they went through the wilderness made its way finally across the Jordan with only two of the original, not even Moses made it in. Joshua and Caleb ushered it in and then it rested at a place called Shiloh for 369 years. 
And I wanted to go there, and we had never been there. And one of the reasons is it's, not, it's, it's in the West Bank. And if you know Israel or the, uh, the geography at all, it's a little bit different going into the West Bank. And we went deep into the West Bank to get to Shiloh, and it was very near Ramallah in the West Bank. And we were, you could see Ramallah from the bus as we traveled along. And I was excited to get there, and I got there, and I don't know what I really expected. I think everybody had a great experience. In fact, some people said that was kind of the coolest experience maybe that we had. Everybody had a different view, but it was really impressive. It was awesome to be there. And yet, in some ways, it was just kind of out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there wasn't a big edifice to it. There, wasn't, there weren't tall skyscrapers like the Twin Towers or anything like that. There weren't, it didn't look like Las Vegas. It was just, just a little Jewish outcropping there near Ramallah, and it was just kind of desert scape, and then a few monuments to the fact that the Ark of the Covenant was there. And there was part of me that was going, the presence of God, the, Shekinah, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was here for almost 400 years. It just seemed so, I don't know. I, it seemed like it should be more grand. This seems like it should be more grand. I mean, really? Out with the animals? No room in the inn? You know the story. We read it every Christmas. This seemed like an inauspicious start for anybody, much less God in human flesh. That's so strange. It's how can we ever really conceive of this? It's that picture. You know, a lot of people talk about, I really have a hard time believing in the resurrection. I, I have no problem believing in the resurrection. You know why? Because I believe in this event. If I didn't believe in this event, then I'd have a big problem with the resurrection. But the resurrection is easy. Once you buy that God took on human flesh and came down, the God, the creator of all things, came down, once you buy into that line of reasoning, and there's, you should do your due diligence, work this out in your mind if you've never really thought through this. There's good reason to believe that it wasn't just probable, that it was beyond probable, that it actually happened intellectually. We're going to look at that in a minute. But it's called the great descent. Paul talks about this, this great descent, God descending into human form. Gina, would you mind reading Philippians 2? 1 through 11. Oh, we didn't get the... Do we have a microphone? Where is it? Oh, all these microphones here? Is that what you're talking about? Is the white one okay? There we go. I'm sorry, Gina. That was, I think I was supposed to do that. Go ahead. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit... If any affection and compassion make my joy complete, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important mm. than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have the attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That is awesome. You just keep that. I'm going to have you keep that, because I'm not done with you yet. Now, take this verse in the middle of that passage that Gina just read. Now, think about this for a second. Being found in the appearance of a man. Being found in the appearance of a man. God, the creator of everything that we can see, taste, touch, and feel. The story goes that he took the form of a man. That's Christmas. That's it. And it began as a baby in a manger or wherever it was or however that looked. I, that, it, it, I know it's challenging, but there's good reason to believe. Now, I'm going to ask you, today, do you think about, we think a lot of, you think about, that's crazy. I don't know how you can go with that line of reason. Now, let me just take for a second what would seem crazy to you 100 years ago. Just think about life in general. Think about the internet. I mean, just think, I mean, the internet, cell phones, iPhones, think about what's going on, or just what we have to grapple with, with just believing that where existence came from. I mean, there's a lot of crazy things we've got to try to think about in life. Don't you agree with that? I mean, it's challenging to think what, what other crazy things and things that we'll unpack before our eyes. I, I can already tell you they're already talking about this cryogenics or whatever where they freeze people, and that what it's called, where they freeze people and then they can bring them potentially back to life. And we almost go, well, even if that's still science fiction, I don't know where the science is on that, but even if it's not, it's kind of like, well, uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, isn't and that's just bizarre. I mean, we believe a lot of crazy things because we're actually seeing them manifest before our eyes. I mean, I couldn't have fathomed an iPhone. I couldn't have a fathomed. Could you even fathom, a lot of you are old enough to where you couldn't fathom having be, the ability to talk on the phone in your car. And the first one you had, you know, was just that huge thing, you know, that with the antennas out and you were talking, it just seemed so strange, so strange. And you get the picture of that guy, the first guy, he was on his convertible and he was the first cell phone that was ever was, was the call that was ever made. And, and now it's just so commonplace. In fact, we want more than a phone. We want to do, we want to be able to do everything on our phone. Siri, I mean, it was just things I was asking today. I mean, I don't even think about it. Just ask Siri. I mean, it's just so strange. It's such a crazy thing to contemplate now for me. Much less 50 years ago, if somebody would have said, this is what life is in reality going to look like. Everybody's going to be like this, and you're going to go into an airport, and it's going to be completely quiet. You used to hear the hustle and the bustle, and everybody's just like this. You go into an airport restaurant or, or a bar or anything, and you don't hear anything. Occasionally, you'll actually hear, you know, last chance to board flight, you know, 346 to Paducah, and that's it. We... we Look, let me tell you something. You may be out there and you may be thinking critically and going, I don't know if I can buy into this. Well, there's a lot of reason that you should. Let's just think about what we're doing with Mars now. The rover that was sent to Mars. I mean, we're like 225,000 miles from the moon. Going to the moon was incredible. I mean, some of you, I mean, wasn't it? Wasn't that just that? We cannot believe a man stepped out onto the moon. That's so crazy to think about. 
We're 91 million miles from the sun. We're 112 million miles from Mars. And we're going to work out the math and somehow navigate through all the celestial bodies here and make our way out into no man's land and land on this thing and actually get, take pictures. We, we were just looking at that the other day. The pictures that were being sent back from somewhere 112 million miles away. It's crazy. But I can't believe that. I, I can't believe that. Really? This is going to become utterly clear. That's what Gina just read that the Apostle Paul. There will be a day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses. I believe that with every fiber in my being. I believe that. And that's why, and many of you do here as well, and that's why we give ourselves to this propagation of the gospel. That's why we give ourselves. That's why we're here tonight, because we believe that so intensely. And it will only get better. I'm telling you, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more assured you become. And me talking about this being crazy doesn't even resonate with you. You're like, of course that happened. Because you know the word. You've experienced a risen Jesus. You've experienced God through his Holy Spirit. You already know that to be true. Some of you may not be there yet. You know, there are many places in the scripture, and we have to read these because it's just part of Christmas Eve service. Well, I'm always going to read these. It's just part of our deal. Gina, if you wouldn't mind reading Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Okay, so many of you have heard that. You know what Emmanuel means, don't you? God dwelling with us. God with us. What a strange name to call a child. Some people say, well, I thought they called him Jesus. Well, he was referred to as many different things. We can see that, that happens multiple, multiple times in the Bible. You'll hear something about his name will be, and then, but his actual name was something else. But his name really was, and we're still calling him Emmanuel. It's one of the great, many great names of Jesus. And a virgin, now some argue about that. They say, well, that's Alma, and you go back into the Hebrew, and that could mean young woman, doesn't have to mean, could mean virgin. If you, you can get down that, maybe you've studied that a little bit. But the problem with that is, is that in context, especially as we'll see two chapters later, and again, Isaiah is writing this 700 plus years before the time of Jesus, a virgin and we're going to call him God with us, that's strange. And now Isaiah 9, which is one of the great prophecies of all time, again, we were in Israel and I said, look, this is the place. And I read through Isaiah 9 as we were on these buses moving, making our way towards Galilee, and here's this beautiful picture of uh, this light emerging out of Zebulun and Naphtali. But would you mind reading that, Gina? Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase in their gladness. They will be glad in your presence 
as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle of Tumut, and the cloak rolled in blood will be burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. For then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now, did you get that? I mean, catch that for a second. We're going to call this child who will be given to us wonderful counselor, eternal father, but prince of peace, but all that, all that's legit. I mean, that's all. But mighty God? I mean, you put the line of thinking, you see what Isaiah is trying to see out. The Spirit is giving Isaiah this unction, this, this picture. I, I wonder sometimes, did he have a, a picture, like an actual vision, or were these just dictated in his own soul? How did Isaiah come up with this? I mean, the book of Isaiah in its fullness is overwhelming. There's 66 chapters. Some of them are so specific as to stagger the mind. Isaiah 53 about Jesus' death. I mean, we can't almost do an Easter without sharing that. I mean, it's just unbelievable what Isaiah's seen. Somehow, God's going to take on human flesh, come in the form of a child. We're going to call him Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor, and mighty God. I don't know, I don't believe in that. You guys just making this stuff up. And that came, you know, 300 years after with Constantine and all that other stuff. Well, I will agree that Constantine kind of made some strange amendments to the practice that weren't very Jewish looking. I would agree with that, but nothing was made up here. I mean, this had been prophesied for hundreds of years. No end to his government. So what was originally said to Mary? I you know, this isn't the traditional Christmas Eve, let's tell the story and the wise men and all that kind of thing. I want to dig down into this because some people say, well, this is just an ancient people. You know, they, they were superstitious. They bought into all kinds of strange things. This was not unusual for them to believe in mysticism and all this other kind of weird things. But listen to Mary's response when she is approached. Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. Gina? Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you 
shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she, who was called barren, is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondservant, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, when you think about that, what was Mary's response? Well, first of all, Mary's response was, how can this be? <laughs> you know, how, how does that work? You know, I've never been with Joseph. We're betrothed, but we're not married I don't know how this is going to, I don't know how this is going to work out. I mean, obviously she had an intellectual question here. This was not normal run-of-the-mill kind of stuff. You're going to be with child. I'm a virgin. How can this thing be? How does this work out? No, you're going to, you're going to be, you're going to be carrying God himself. Now you can imagine, she's just thinking, okay, yeah, this, this is just kind of a normal day for me. I mean, you can imagine her response. Ladies, imagine if that happened to you. Try to put yourself in that situation for a moment. What would that even feel like? You would, I'm sure you would question your own sanity. You would look around. Did I see something? Did I hear something? I mean, where, where did that come from? And I love the fact that she has this intellectual kind of response. She didn't divorce herself from her mind. She's like, I just don't get this. But then at the end, after some contemplation and some sense of, wow, I, I get this, and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, no question, her response is pretty simple. And I love the response, and it's, it has to be the response of all of us, well, be it done unto your bond slave. She identified as somebody who was already enslaved to the living God. This is impossible for God? Is this so strange? That God can speak into existence something out of nothing? Is this that strange? His creative force, you know what drives me crazy today is that we somehow give this, uh, this power to the word nature as if nature in and of itself has any creative force alone. Nature, what is nature? Where's the guiding hand here? You can say evolution, you can say this, you can say that. I'm not even talking about the process by which God creates, but you've got to recognize that it can't just come out of nothing. There is a creative force behind this. I don't think Mary had a problem with that. I think because of her relationship as, as seen in her response, be it done unto your bond slave. She'd already self-identified. She knew there was a loving and living God. She knew about the long-awaited Messiah. Maybe she didn't see it coming. She certainly didn't see it coming in her life. She was nothing special. Some theologians think she could have been as young as my youngest daughter. It's like 13 years old. I can't even imagine. Maybe she was a little older. Probably not older than 15 years old. This loving, dynamic relationship with the Creator allowed her to work through her mental 
hang up here, which I would have as well, and go ahead and take the next step and say, yeah, but who are we dealing with here? We're dealing with the creator of all things. The question here is, what is the alternative to God coming? I mean, what is the alternative? You say, well, God could just, you know, wave a magic wand over the whole world and everybody would all of a sudden become good. That would take away our own ability to, to, to be imago Dei, to be in the image of God. Our, our, our own decision-making process would be vanished. It would vanish virtually overnight if that was the case. Uh, you know, you say, what, what is the response when you're dealing with an apathetic people, a disbelieving people, a people that are in absolute rebellion against their own creator, even though intuitively they know and they can sense What's good and what's bad? That conscience. You know, there's something in us that goes, even when we're acting out of character, that we just can't buy into the Bertrand Russell philosophical kind of view that we know we're just nothing. And then all your dreams and all your aspirations and everything you've ever thought and all the work you've put in and all the energy you've put in in raising a family or building a business or, or whatever it is and all the investment of time, guess what? It means nothing zero, zilch, you'll be forgotten, everything's over, your last breath is your last breath, and everything that you were passionate about, well, if that made your life better a little bit down here, but it means nothing. Some of the philosophers actually got to that place. Nietzsche was one of them, Bertrand Russell was another. Look, it just means nothing. And God enters the stream of fallen humanity who is blind and apathetic and in rebellion and enters in the form of a bond slave and descends into a place, not the, the Ritz-Carlton or the Four Seasons, and not in New York or Hong Kong or anywhere else, comes into this Bethlehem, which is barely even on the map. It's hard to believe, but billions, billions Sorry, McDonald's. Billions have been served over the last 2,000 years and are being served by relationship, not with a baby in a manger anymore, by a risen king. You saw the language of Mary, right? He's coming as a king. And he was a king. Jesus was no less a king when he was on earth for the 33, 33 and a half years that he was on earth. He was no less a king than he is today. But he came and says, I'm going to take on the form of a bond slave. And yes, I'm going to become the Lamb of God. And I'll die first. And then I'll come back as king. Because I'm interested in saving a people that have been called into my name. Now, is that powerful? That's Christmas, folks. You know, I think about the, Tim Keller talks a little bit about there being kind of two Christmases. You know, there really are in our world. There are two Christmases. There's kind of what we're doing now, talking about really the reason and the very, the very origins of Christianity, right? Which it didn't just start here. I mean, the origins of God's plan of redemption started way, way, even before Abraham and the first Jew, who was the first Jewish man. I mean, way before that, right after the fall, already the plan of redemption's already set. And it's already in full force, and it's, it's moving towards this day. But we live in a day that's so incredible, and yet, and we can be here to talk about it. But there's a whole other Christmas that's being experienced. Grinches, who stole it, I guess, right? And, and this whole thing about, baby, it's cold outside, 
you know, that whole thing, this big thing about it. And that's, it's like, a, you know, it just feels like it's being taken over by the, the secularization of, and I, now they got stuff like this show Bad Santa. It's a drunk Santa that comes in and hates the kids and kicks them around and steals money. And it's really just a thief operation. You look at all that and you're just going, this is Christmas, really? It's just about, I mean, it's just become so obscene. There is a Christmas over here, and then there's what we're talking about now, which, if true, and I believe it with all of my heart, with every single fiber of my body, as I told you earlier, and many of you do too, because of that, should we be celebrating? I mean, this is a celebratory moment. Folks, this is the Creator coming to man, but not just to be among us. But to come and die, he came, he was born to die. He was born to die. What kind of a community are we going to be, church at the red door? Are we going to be a community that stands up and says, not us. We're going to look at this season, this night, tomorrow. We're going to celebrate this with great thankfulness to the creator of the universe. We're not just going to be just a normal people that get caught up in all the hoopla and travel. And look, all that needs to happen sometimes. I get it. But when you're opening gifts, and I'm not against any of that. Please don't, don't misread me. But let's keep at the forefront this Christmas season the, the powerful, incredible truth that God took on human flesh. Guys, this is not just church dogma. There was no other way. If God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, if that had to happen, this is not dogma. This was a necessity. This was a necessity. And me, Laura, many of you, as I look around, our I don't, I, our girls have no comprehension of what their lives might look like if we were just collocations of atoms floating around with trying to find some existential reason for why we're on the planet. I can't imagine what my girls' lives would look like, how different they would be. But with this at the center, life makes sense. There's a narrative, and it's powerful. And it happened, I guess, on one silent night, didn't it? all those years ago. So let's close with uh, this song and then I'll come and close us in prayer. By the way, Gina McConnell, thank you so much for your glorious reading. <laughs>